0: killer physiology. I am Haley.
1: And I'm Wes. Join us this week as we dive into the killer physiology of the human body. Hey, what's up, everyone?
0: Hi, everybody. How are we?
1: I'm doing all right. How about you?
0: Good. It's cold out. It's finally like, I mean, it's been fall in October, but it's freezing now.
1: So It's finally like feeling like it, which is nice because i don't know i feel like we had a week where it was uh
0: it got really it was, hot all of a sudden it was
1: like yeah it was like really hot again and then now it seems like maybe fall is here to stay i don't don't want to uh
0: i agree i bought all my pumpkins so hopefully they like because you know <clears> when you <throat> buy pumpkins and it gets too hot and then they just like spoil yeah so i finally bought pumpkins yesterday and i hope they lost
1: yeah because i feel like when it's hot out they um they go bad a lot quicker i don't know they do
0: and everybody i'm sick um i've been sick for like days now so if my voice sounds crazy that's why yeah and if i mute myself it's because i'm dying but it's all <laughs> right we're here yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> no that's yeah it's uh i don't know it kind of comes with the change of the weather i don't know i wake up each day right now like stuffed up so it's great um wh- how's your weekend been
0: it's good we went to the beach we hung out yeah you do i heard you got a tattoo I got,
1: yeah I went to a uh <laughs> <laughs> I went to a new uh tattoo shop that I haven't been to. It was a um a guy I went to high school with. And so Oh
0: I didn't realize um, I went to high school with him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he was a pretty cool guy and um he put up like a bunch of like flash art that he was doing for um like Halloween October. And so I got it's like a like a twisted like knotted kind of like scythe and That's uh, so Cool. yeah i'm pretty pretty excited about it. it was very um impulsive so but it was it was it was good
0: oh my god that's amazing yeah
1: i mean it was super super chill and it took like hardly any time it was like 45 minutes Worth So it. like yeah can't can't complain about that <laughs> um i will say like back to the calf was uh oh yeah it was it was surprisingly like parts of it was <laughs> a little bit like uh stung a little bit but it wasn't wasn't the worst
0: Oh my god,
1: that's funny. Um, so today we're going to be talking about blood flow restriction. Um, yes. so this is going to be another research review kind of style like we did a few weeks back. <clears throat> um, I'm pretty excited about this topic. Um, in grad school I remember we did a few different like research articles about it where, you know, one of my classes we uh did something similar to like what we're doing with these episodes. And the one article that I remember reading like offhand, like, I don't remember who did the research or anything, but it talked about like an impossible, a possible increase in peak VO2, um, on a cycle ergometer test. Um, you know, so basically just, a, a you know, a cycle that's bicycle mm-hmm. that's hooking up to that cosmed cart typically. Um, and that was for an individual that had undergone a training program that implemented, the use of blood flow restriction cuffs on the thighs while doing high intensity intervals um so this really piqued my interest with the subject because i'm just curious i was always curious like what the real world applications would be because to me it sounds like it would be like hella painful but you know i can't (laughs) imagine
0: exercise to max capacity with my leg being squeezed
1: yeah exactly yeah it just does not sound fun and i you know and it could, but like offhand I was like you know I feel like convincing people to do that would be pretty tough um yeah. so but that was kind of what made me want to do a little bit more um research into it and you know with our our first episode we did a research review we covered like a lot of those important steps on how to select a reputable article
0: mm-hmm. and like
1: how to screen for that so I'm not going to go over that really today um so I'm just going to ju- get jump Ugh. I'm just going to jump into my article. And so it's from the Translational Journal of the ACSM, the American College of Sports Medicine, and it's titled Effects of Blood Flow Restriction Training on Muscle Size, Power, and VO2 Max in Active Adults. And it's by Bradley et al. So I'm gonna be giving you a couple quotes, kind of going over some of the details and kind of giving my perspective of it. but the study aimed to investigate the effects of isovolumetric training with and without blood flow restriction, which from now on, I'm going to kind of reference as BFR mm-hmm. on muscle hypertrophy, power, strength, and aerobic capacity. So that muscle hypertrophy is like growing in muscle size. And then obviously like muscle power and strength you know, are different variables and aerobic capacity is just basically how well your oxidative system in your body is functioning. A basic de- description of how uh, the blood flow restriction training is accomplished um, in this study was it involved applying a cuff over a limb to a partially occlude arterial blood flow at a selected percentage during exercise, the occlusion of the target muscle group creates a hypoxic environment that promotes increased strength, power and hypertrophy as normally seen after high intensity exercise and um, So obviously one of those good markers of a, of a kind of study is they're doing like a research review, kind of like that meta-analysis of previous data. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was performed in the research and they found that, uh, past research had mainly focused on single joint exercises and limited focus on functional movements and aerobic exercise. they found that most often when BFR training had been implemented with aerobic exercise, it had been mainly accomplished with the use of bands or elastic wraps. Uh, But the issue with this is that you cannot determine what percent of blood flow occlusion you're training at. Um, And like, you know, everybody knows, or, you know, with research, the big thing is it's being like being repeatable. And Mm -hmm. if you're choosing that training percentage, you want to be, you want to be able to make sure you're consistently, you're having those details set so doing it with elastic bands, just really not getting you that <clears throat> a main goal of the study was to provide a specific percent occlusion of blood flow with aerobic exercise in combination with functional resistance exercise. Um, they hypo- hy- hypothesized that during four weeks of training with or without BFR participants would increase strength, power, and muscle cross-sectional area with no change in maximal aerobic capacity and no difference between groups. Um, so that muscle cross-sectional area, that's going to be kind of that muscle hypertrophy that we talked about a little bit ago. <clears throat> so now that we kind of went over what exactly BFR is and what their, their actual researchers goals were, um, I want to talk a little bit about like the actual study design, what their inclusion criteria was, you know, kind of what they actually had in the study. Uh, so the two different groups, uh, it was two groups with 15 participants in each, Uh, Between the age of 18 to 60 years old, moderately active, three days or more week of aerobic and strength training. So basically, they were looking for like already somewhat fit individuals that had a good um, training age and things (laughs) like that. Their baseline testing included uh, completion of kind of basic surveys, measurements of resting hemodynamics, that muscle cross sectional area. Maximal aerobic capacity which is that vo2 max and an estimated one rm of deadlift and um the just one thing to note is those the resting like hemodynamics they were all done after the participant had sat for about five minutes without talking or anything like that and then obviously they got their height and weight um And the one thing that I thought was interesting is that with the VO2 max, they assessed it uh, with a maximal graded exercise test, but on a stationary row. So something different. Yeah, I've never, uh, never seen that before, Um, you know, but it's pretty cool. I feel like that'd be interesting to try. Um, And the one RM deadlift was completed with one dumbbell in each hand. Um, And if the participant completed two to nine repetitions, the test was considered completed um if they went over that i th- believe they like repeated the test at a heavier weight um mm-hmm. and if they could only do one um i think they counted that as like an actual one rm but their goal was to kind of do the calculated yeah <clears throat> so now that i've went over that baseline testing i kind of want to talk about what their training protocol actually looked like so the participants trained two times a week for four weeks and they had a standardized warm-up between the two different groups um so this is a bit of a long kind of quote here, and I'm, I am might stop and start a little bit, but just kind of want to go over how they outlined the actual training. Mm-hmm. So for the BFR group, the cuffs were put on each thigh um, as close to the hip basically as possible. Um, they termed it like proximal. So like, you know, as cl- you know basically as close to the midline of the body after the warm up completion, um, occlusion was established by using a Delphi. Personalized tourniquet system, which um, they said was from uh, Vancouver, Canada, um, with the subject lying supine and relaxed. Both groups performed one bout of rowing for two minutes and three bouts of rowing for one minute with 30 seconds of rest between bouts. The rowing wattage was determined based on the max power attained during baseline testing. So if any of you out there haven't used a rower before, basically when how hard you're pulling and pushing with your legs, that's going to determine like what kind of wattage you're mm-hmm. reaching with with your um, kind of the stroke of the row. Um, and so that's basically how they outlined that rowing training. And the BFR group rode at 40 percent of maximum power and the control group rode at 80 percent so much lower training intensity oh, yeah. for that blood flow restriction group which is interesting mm-hmm. um and the b and with the bfr group the cuff stayed inflated during uh the 30 second breaks oh my God. and yeah so you, it's just staying up the whole time I, I just imagining
0: this whole time like getting my blood pressure done by somebody uh-huh. who squeezes the hell out of my arm and then having to like do bicep curls yep like yeah. i Oh god.
1: Yeah, I can't. I just I don't sounds, know if I could ever do this. But it anyways. Sounds, it sounds painful. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, after a three-minute refs rest with cuffs deflated for the blood flow restriction group, participants completed four sets of deadlifts with 30 seconds of rest between sets. The BFR group lifted 30% of the 1 RM deadlift for one set of 20 reps and then three sets of 10 reps. And the cuffs stayed inflated for the entire deadlift protocol. So basically, like during that three minute rest period, they did get a break um, with the cuffs. And then once they started the deadlifts, they uh, went back up. The control group lifted 60% of their one RM for 10 reps for one set of 10 reps and then three sets of five five reps. Um, if a participant did not complete the protocol for either rowing or deadlift, the resistance was retained for the next session and their rpe which is that rating of perceived exertion was recorded after completion of the final stage of rowing and deadlifts if a participant reported less than a six out of 10 rpe the load for that exercise was (laughs) increased by 10 percent and um at the subsequent session so um you know that's kind of that big tool that we've talked about before is you know actually trying to get the person to rate themselves yeah depending on the person though they're going to know they're going to know kind of that caveat at the end and they might see like oh this was really hard so you have to like kind of read that read between the lines a little bit
0: yeah i think rpe is tough rpe is a tough indicator um some people don't even know like how to represent their bodies in rpe but then other people like you said will know what the caveat is and then either rate it higher or lower Exactly. Um, to just kind of get away with it. But
1: yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a double edged sword because you have the people like that constantly want to go up and higher and, and oh, yeah. do that. And then you also have the people that want to try to like skate by a little bit. <clears throat> um Definitely. So one thing to note is with that um the occlusion cuffs, the blood flow restriction group, uh, it was occluded up to eighty percent of that arterial blood flow. Um with their on the thigh with that cuff um and so like i mentioned they did that with that tourniquet system from um canada i i feel like when i looked at these somewhat before because i was like curious like what they looked like and they do i was gonna
0: say i can't even picture what you're even talking about
1: yeah (laughs) so i i mean i didn't look up this actual system which i I probably should have but um what i saw before was basically they did look like really big blood pressure cuffs and then they oh, had God. like a sensor there to kind of give you like a gauge um <clears throat> of like kind of where it was occluded to wow but i don't know it's interesting
0: i'm guessing they're huge if they're like doing like thigh muscles and stuff right yeah yeah
1: okay. kind of like i mean i don't know if you've seen like a thigh cuff or blood pressure before but very similar to that yeah okay um And so the exercise, the basically the exercise regimen was designed in a way to ensure similar training volumes between the two groups. So um, if you notice, like when I was reviewing um, kind of like the deadlift protocol between the two groups, like, yes, the blood flow restriction group, they were doing um, like a much lower percentage of their deadlift. um, But they were doing like three sets of 10 reps and one set of 20 reps, whereas like the control group was doing 60 percent and one set of 10 and three sets of five so they tried to kind of like kind of counteract like okay Mm -hmm. this person's like a lower training percentage but we're going to raise their volume the other group is you know higher training percentage so we're going to decrease like the volume of that so it's you know they try to keep it fairly equal between the two groups um Mm -hmm. one thing that's important to note or at least the study that study identified was like a really big thing for them um, was that when they went to do um, their statistical analysis uh, the, the groups when the groups are randomized there was not a matching number of male and female participants and therefore they considered sex as a covariate and if there was a main effect difference then univariate analysis was used so Um, basically they were trying to account for any like male, male versus female, like differences between the groups. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was the big chunk of how they were training individuals. I'm going to jump into some of the results of the study, um, and just kind of discuss big picture from here. So 20 total participants completed the study. There was nine blood flow restriction training and 11 control group um now i think i might even cover this a little bit further on um but <clears throat> basically their 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 participant group size was affected because the study like started like a little bit before covid came mm-hmm. and of then course. like that that then affected how many people they had complete the study mm-hmm. and and they i think they kind of decided to stop
0: mm-hmm. once
1: you know they got that what I'm assuming is that like first kind of, you know, cohort through um, just because like COVID kind of shut everything down. Yeah. Um, so a couple of big things that they found was that the control group showed a larger percent change than the BFR group for both cr- muscle cross-sectional area measurements and VO2 max. But the BFR group had a larger percent change for maximum power output. <clears throat> um, this is consistent with the results they reviewed in their meta-analysis. And like one thing for me that I thought was interesting with that is, is uh, again, I, I didn't do the research and it was like my kind of like understanding from some, from reading other articles, but they kind of talked about being able to perform better at that kind of peak level, like that, mm-hmm. right. Where, you know, you hit that VO two peak, like your energy yeah. systems are changing a little bit. And to me, that kind of, this kind of shows that is, you know, okay, they're hitting that ma- higher maximum power output you know even though their their actual vo2 max isn't changing they're able to perform at a higher level yeah you know with that higher power output um the researchers speculated that the low training intensity used in the bfr group may not have been enough to induce vo2 change as much um as the vo2 max in the high intensity for the control group and the RPE. One thing to note was the RPE was lower in the BFR group. So even though they had those cuffs on, um, people consistently rated um, like a lower perceived exertion. And some of the study limitations, like I said, it was a um, it was limited due to COVID nineteen, and that was part of why uh, the groups were not balanced between um, male and female. And they also speculated that the two day a week training schedule may have been too little to cause a significant response um i agree with that yeah it seemed like a very like a low training uh training schedule i don't know yeah. um and one thing that they kind of questioned was like the one rm calculation versus true one rm of the deadlift um, they talked a little bit about Um, You know, some people had never done a deadlift before. So then you're trying to coach them on how to do that with correct form, um, different things like that. So I could see where that would be a challenge. Because one, if you're being super strict with form, that's really hard to coach people on how to do like, especially if you're like, okay, I'm going to teach you how to do this. And then you're going to do like a, you know, kind of um, estimated one RM test, you know, you're supposed to be working as at a higher intensity and you're probably not going to be working as high or high of an intensity for somebody that's never done it before
0: true um do you think they <clears throat> underestimated the percentage of their of the one rms for the people with the blood flow restriction
1: underestimated
0: yeah is there like, did they have some sort of like calculation i guess they really don't know because we don't necessarily have literature
1: i, I yeah i did they had the they had what their actual like equation was that they used um okay but I think I mean in my opinion I feel like it's just they chose a a low training intensity you know what I mean Um, I mean again
0: if their RPEs were so low you would think they maybe bump it up a little bit and then maybe you'd have different results in the end too
1: maybe yeah and I think part of it one thing that they were talking about with the lower RPEs was that it was kind of in a way a good thing that rpe was lower was that like okay you're getting some similar benefits using this as you are at these crazy high intensities so it's kind of like depends on the way you look at it a little bit i guess it does
0: yeah definitely
1: um but yeah i think to me the use of like uh, of a calculate one rm is tough with people i don't know i again i'm not like a professional researcher like i help with (laughs) research studies but um i know that when we do them at our current job, and when I did them in grad school, used machines because it it takes away that form aspect. Oh, yeah. um, and so you can oh, you can much more safely get somebody to a higher um intensity and you don't have to worry about form quite as exactly. much. You still have to coach them through the proper way to use the machine. but, it's not as risky as doing like a uh, like a predicted one RM with a deadlift, in my I agree. opinion. No, I agree. Um. So, uh, one other thing they wanted to note was that, uh, despite the use of healthy participants, the it, this information may be theoretically applied to populations that cannot train at sixty to eighty percent of maximum because of risk of injury or pain. Or pain, specifically improvements in. And power are important for translation to clinical populations where power is vital for activities like stair climbing or jumping. So, um, <clears throat> so they're basically saying like, okay, yeah, our study focused on these, this healthy population, but we believe it can be applied to those clinical populations as well. Um, and I think there's a good argument for that, for that there. I just think that, you know, I would want to be reviewing other literature as well to see like <laughs> what the risks were depending on that clinical population. Excuse me. Um, so overall, I thought it was a really, a pretty interesting article. Um, I think, do you think it's a compelling method of training, but if it can give the same results as like typical aerobic and strength training, but with a lower RPE, um, and kind of, like I said, I'd really be interested to see how it would work with like a clinical population, you know, what the changes in like blood pressure, things like that were, um, you know, I remember, at some point, I read one where they talked about like if there was an increased risk of stroke, things like that. Yeah, um,
0: yeah, I saw that.
1: Yeah, and then also I think that if you were to implement this in like a clinical setting, um, it would depending on what your setting looked like, you would keep your patient volume pretty low, in my opinion, because you're having to do the process of the yeah. of the occlusion cuffs and you're having to monitor that. It just to me it seemed like it would it would have to be like more of a specialized setting. But that's just kind of me speculating about that
0: yeah wow good job wes
1: thank you that was a mouthful
0: that was a mouthful but that's interesting i still don't know how i feel about it i'm like very on the fence about it i think honestly this isn't appropriate for people who are like super healthy in my opinion um people who can exercise at that 60 and 80 percent of their maximum um because if there are risks like a or stroke or things like that, it's not necessarily worth it if you're healthy and you can exercise at a vigorous level. But yeah. for people who can't and can't, um, either they're stuck in a wheelchair or um, they can't perform as high as they used to because of some sort of cardiac event, this would yeah. be like super awesome if they can exercise at a low intensity with restriction and get Yield the benefits of high intensity exercise.
1: Agreed. I think. Like, I don't know
0: how long this has been going on for. Like how much. I'm not sure. Know?
1: I didn't. I didn't research how far that aspect we of it in the science
0: <laughs> of this. You know. Yeah,
1: I didn't go that deep into it. To be honest, that's okay.
0: Neither did I. <laughs>
1: um Yeah. So I agree. I think that. um I think a use with a clinical population where you can't train at that high of intensity. Uh that would be a pretty cool way to implement this, depending on Mm -hmm. like what the support, like research support was for that. I do think to me, this is kind of how I look at it. And again, it's just my interpretation, but I feel like it would be interesting. Like, say you were trying to sustain that like peak VO2, like longer, um, and like work at that like maximal kind of power level. Yeah, I feel like that that would be interesting as well because it kind of you're kind of like working there at the end of that, like oxidate you know your oxidative like, oh yeah and you can capacity. hold it on you can yeah. hold
0: on for for a longer period exactly. of exactly
1: like it kind of to me that's kind of where i see is like it would yeah. be cool is you could work at that like very end point of your aerobic capacity and try to prolong how long you could stay at that peak level
0: where most of us would fail
1: yeah like you know kind of Either like I... when we do the tests at work like you know, you hit that peak and it kind of drops off really quickly yeah. i would be curious like if you use this like would that kind of like that's would cool you maintain like a plateau maybe like you become like the hulk
0: or something maybe
1: <laughs> maybe we've of... never
0: changed that we never trained at that level for an extended period of time because your no, body ex- fails exactly that... oh my god i feel like it'd be interesting to try. we just unlocked a door <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna have to do that work now oh my god <laughs> that's so funny all right everyone my i have a different article uh bear with me i literally coughed the entire time wes was talking but i kept muting myself so
1: well, That's I mean, you did a good job because I, like I didn't to. hear you do that. That's so
0: amazing. Great. Um, So my article is called The Risk of Exertional Rhabdomyolysis. Did I say that right, Wes? Yeah. Yep. Oh, heck yeah. And I'm going <laughs> to call it ER, so Exertional Rhabdomyolysis, just to make my life a little easier. Yep. With blood flow training uh, beyond the case report. It was published back in November of 2018. And this article is not necessarily as much as an article like Wes's was. It was, His was like a study, had a study design and went through mm-hmm. the entire protocol. Mine was basically looking at the report of previous previously done research studies and what their findings were. And then uh, at I the gotcha. end, they kind of draw their own conclusion based off the facts found in the artic- other articles. Um, I got gotcha. you. So yeah. they do have an opinion i would say at the end of the day but it's based off of um multiple different research studies and what their findings were okay so i thought it was a little fun and different yeah um <clears throat> here we go so i chose this route of discussing the possible risk of blood flow restriction because of the name of the topic i thought when wes brought this up i as a potential episode i was like how the hell is blood flow restriction in any way could be good or safe for us (laughs) or beneficial like i literally was so shocked he's like so i have this friend like i think it was your friend or some somebody that you knew that like tied like this resistance band on his muscle and did bicep curls i'm like that sounds dangerous like yeah it's don't weird. do that <laughs> so i was like let's look at the risk i want to look at the risk of this yeah because all all we learn about in school is like blood flow and oxygen delivery and organ performance with optimized blood flow um to the working part of our body so why mm-hmm. put a band on it and restrict it in my yeah. opinion that's where i was coming from yeah um i like to play devil, devil's advocate so
1: yeah i feel like you're trying to start an argument that's but it's fine yeah <laughs>
0: So there's obviously more unknown risk to this type of training. There always is. There's risk to, I mean, everything that we don't necessarily know yet. That's why research is research. But I'm just going to cover what the article is going to um, discuss. Okay. So my article quotes Clark and Manini. Yeah. And their recent case report about uh, blood flow restriction, and they believe that blood flow restriction has gained popularity due to the fact that it offers people the ability to exercise at lower intensities, but gain the same results and muscular adaptations that they would performing at high intensity exercises, kind of like Wes was discussing before. And like we discussed before, again, it sounds great for disease populations um, in the sense of only having to perform these low intensity exercises with with this blood flow restrictions, but yielding the benefits of high um, intensity exercise um, if they're not able to physically do it otherwise. So I think that's awesome. And on the other hand, they discuss how blood flow restriction may increase the risk of overstressing the body and it might not be worth it at the end of the day. Yeah. They lead us to believe mm-hmm. that there are potential dangers of induced enzima and circulatory or neural complications that they referred to in another article, which I did not dive into because it was a whole other wormhole, which <laughs> might be an episode for another day. Yeah. But they did talk about potential dangers of dangers of these restrictions to our circulatory or neural systems, which is really important and could be yeah. scary. But they came to a conclusion there's less literature to support that blood flow restriction induces the er which is the exertional rhabdo that i mentioned before and let's dive into what um, rhabdo is or what er is Um, er is a life-threatening condition where skeletal muscle breaks and releases proteins and electrolytes into the bloodstream which in the end causes damage to both the heart and the kidneys and can cause permanent damage or um, permanent disability rather or even death
1: yeah. So obviously we,
0: this diagnosis is a huge deal. Go ahead, Wes.
1: Yeah. Well, I was just going to say like we were talking about this episode, I think like before we started to record and Haley was like, "So I have uh that like c- condition where muscles break down and releases proteins." And like I hadn't looked at like what she had done at all. And oh I was like, god. "Wait, are you saying you have this? Like <laughs> what like what happened to you?" I forgot to leave that I did an article yeah. about it, not yeah. that I no, she was like, diagnosis. So I have the disease where this happens and I was like, "Okay. Okay. Oh
0: god. <laughs> So huge deal, like huge, huge yeah, deal. It is. Um, <clears throat> so if they're mentioning that this blood flow restriction can increase ER. Is that worth it? Um, continuing, um, they speak of isolated incidents of ER occurring due to blood flow restriction, and they're highlighted in Clark and Manini, Iverson and Rostad and uh, Tabata et al. Um, I'm going to give you a quote here. Quote, however, without context as to the denominator in this equation, we fear that these reports can lead to a false um, supposition. How do you say that word? Supposition?
1: Yeah, supposition, I think. That
0: blood flow restriction training creates a disproportionately elevated chance of developing ER compared with other forms of exercise.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: quote the article now goes into describing the importance of contents and interpretation of these articles that may end up causing a false claim honestly when i was before even found this article i found the articles that they were talking about and i was Mm -hmm. reading it and i was like oh my god like this poor man got rhabdo from this blood flow restriction and i kept reading it and it was not very good and then i read this article and it was talking about how it could very much make false claims so again this is why it's important to research everybody
1: basically trying to they're basically saying it's easy to make these false claims or whatever or like yeah. have a, a biased outlook is that basically is that what they're saying yeah okay i got you so
0: they found um the, the <laughs> article that i read they found that 91 studies they found 91 studies overall and they included over 1400 participants um in the medical field that use blood flow training and okay. And of these 91 studies and 1,400 participants, only three reference case reports of ER as a result of blood flow restriction, which makes ER having an incident rate of 0.0% in controlled clinical climates, which in my opinion is not very scary. No. So it's very, very low. I happened to come across the one man who had <laughs> rhabdo, so yeah. you have to you have to be careful, everybody. Yeah. And the article con- um concludes that the risk of ER is quote very much in line with the reported cardiovascular event rate from more general physical activities in adults. Quote.
1: Yes, yeah, so that's pretty low.
0: Pretty low. There was a survey um, conducted in Japanese hospitals, clinics, and training facilities where blood flow um, blood flow restriction training. Um, is more popular um, there than it is in North America. And they report that ER diagnosis associated with blood flow restriction is 0.008% in healthy and diseased populations of varying age, huh. which is even lower than the first statistic that I said. Yeah. Um they also found that in America 25% of football teams, 43% of swim teams and 435 military personnel quote developed ER under circumstances of exercising in extreme heat, yeah. increased exercise volume and dehydration quote.
1: Yeah, I feel like Interesting. Uh, yeah, when I was learning about like exercise programming like I feel like that really got beat into our heads about that. It was yeah. just because of I don't know. I feel like if you incorrectly prescribe exercise to athletes you know without like blood flow restriction training you can very easily easily get calls yeah cause harm
0: exactly so basically it seems that there is even a higher risk of getting er or that rhabdo from natural elements um like exercising outside in the heat exercise intensities and your water intake compared to just blood flow restriction solely which i think is very very interesting they stress the underlying factors such as the elements stated above can play a key factor in ER when associated with blood flow restriction. They're basically saying that if we we can't just blame blood flow restriction without looking mm-hmm. at the other elements and factors that could have caused ER in another way, especially in those three cases that turned out to be positive. Yeah. Quote, it is our opinion that there is currently a lack of evidence to suggest that the practice of blood flow Restriction training significantly increases the risk of ER in comparison with any other physical activity. However, we agree with Clark and Manini that the use of low load exercise does not negate the possibility of ER related complications okay. and that the additional stress imposed on the body by BFR or blood flow restriction must be considered. Like any exercise, it seems prudent that previous activity levels are taken in consideration before enrollment in blood flow restriction training and that prescribed exercise volumes do not not abruptly exceed an individual's normal capacity, quote, which at the end of the day I think is just very true and very fair to state. Um, And, quote, therefore, we suggest that individuals must be screened more thoroughly before blood flow restriction training, and they end with this. We conclude, quote, by reminding the readers that the risk is always the case and context specific. Let me, let me repeat that. Therefore okay. we can conclude by reminding the readers that the risk is always case and context specific and that just one size rarely fits all ever. Yeah. Which is just true about exercise as a whole, in my opinion. Yeah. Like we definitely. discussed in our previous episode of risk versus award, there's always going to be benefits and there's always going to be risk. And honestly, I mean exercise is not uh prescribed here you go and go ahead and do it for everybody there's very everybody's different so they're just talking about the blood flow restriction as well like you can't just like hop on that train and like
1: yeah doing it yeah I agree I definitely don't think it's for everyone and I think if you are going to do it like make sure you're doing it like be smart about it you know um probably don't do it with like resistance bands like wrapped around your legs oh, or definitely something. Not. You know and or but... if
0: you have like, for example, like let's say you have like blood clots too. Like maybe that's yeah, not the greatest exactly. idea to no. be doing blood flow restriction if you have blood clots. Or I mean, I don't know how much literature is out there yet. But even yeah. with people with past cardiac events, like maybe yeah. we don't know like that pressure change and the blood flow restriction if that's going to increase an unnecessary risk. Yeah. So I You know, know one know.
1: thing I you were just talking about that and it what? kind of piqued my interest and but we would definitely have to do more research about it. But I was wondering like how it would work with like peripheral artery disease where you're like oh my god try- yeah. where you're trying to you know where you're doing that incline walking with with them and you're basically working to that pain threshold. Yeah. <clears throat> um I'm just curious like what if there'd be any benefits of using that or like contraindications like to using that with that population. I don't know. I just it just like came to mind. I don't know. That's it was it. more no, that- more of a speculation than anything.
0: We should definitely look into that
1: yeah because <clears throat> that's a tricky population anyway but... i
0: love my pad patients yeah there there's some they're... tough cookies out there
1: yeah there are that's for sure
0: really um
1: so what about you would you do it
0: um <laughs> <no>. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i i don't know yeah. i would do it okay so sure i'll do it to try it out because i'm fun like that and i'll yeah, do fun things you
1: try it yeah
0: but it sounds like hell. I can't imagine doing like, for example, like a leg press or something with like mm-hmm. my freaking thigh cuffed off. Yeah. Like, I don't maybe if the percentage is lower.
1: Yeah. I, mean, the, I don't know. The percentage, percentage was is pretty lower. yeah
0: the, yeah, the first article that you had, the training percentage was pretty low. So I
1: Yeah. It was like maybe, 30% or something I know, like that. Maybe
0: I can like <clears throat> throw an RP of four and it's like, oh yeah, I'm not working too hard. I don't know.
1: It scares think, yeah. me though
0: cuz we yeah. really are always stressing the importance of blood flow and oxygen consumption and delivery mm-hmm. and I don't know it kind of just like in the back of my head screams everything that we like were told mm-hmm. that is bad in school. Yeah, I got you. What about I you? feel
1: like I would probably try it. I don't know. I Definitely. like I would be interested just to see
0: You like lose your arm.
1: <laughs> yeah, lose my arm. arm I think it would be cool just to see like if you could actually see some of those, like, ben- like any of those benefits or whatever. But I guess, like, you also you also have those risks. But, but the thing is, too, like, know. if
0: you trained, let's say, like, we just started, like, training like that. Like, we yeah. only trained like that. Could you only yield those results if you continuously trained like that? Yeah, I don't know. Because then, then that's, like, a whole other, that's a whole other thing. You got to bring your band to is. the gym. You got to cut off your leg. Is, you got to yeah. make sure you're doing it safely. And it's, like, <sighs>
1: yeah i feel like like the most i would do would be like one kind of like training cycle of like you know three or four weeks or something and then if it was i definitely
0: think you have to give your body a break it. you definitely can't yeah. take this for a lifetime
1: no i feel like yeah i don't know it'd be interesting to see I but don't then know, if you
0: I... yield those higher vo2 results and if you stop training after two to three weeks it's just gonna go back down again
1: yeah that is true. Mm. i don't know it'd be yeah. interesting <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So that is a wrap on blood flow restriction. Um, Let us know what you think about it. Don't yeah. forget to follow us on Instagram at do Killer it. Physiology Podcast. Um, you can always send us an email if you have any questions about anything. It's Killer oh, yeah. Physiology send us email, Podcast. So if you have yeah, do it. It's Killer Physiology Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Stay tuned for our next episode. We're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to dabble in some spooky things because... We love Halloween and it's October, and spooky season is upon us. So, we're gonna dabble with still fitness. Yeah, it's
1: still gonna be related to like gyms, fitness, stuff like that. Science, a little bit different. Yeah,
0: but it's we're just gonna take a swim spin for like maybe two weeks of um, fun new things because it's Halloween season. Yeah, exactly. Start pumpkin carving, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) This is killer physiology. See ya. See ya.